Hello, hello, and welcome to Review 2. And this week we're Review 2-ing Under a Blood Red Sky. There's so many weird things that go wrong here. Under thundercloud and rain. Out of control. Sunday bloody Sunday. High heel boots. Edge looking like a trendy lumberjack. Does Bono need that guitar? It's like the world doesn't want you two to have this gig. Hello and welcome to Season 4 Episode 2 of Review 2. Today we'll be continuing our journey through the story of U2 Live. I'm Tyler. Here with me is Johnny. Say hello, Johnny. Hello. We are two bespectacled U2 fans. We love talking about that too. And today we will be discussing the War Tour and in particular Red Rocks. Yeah, so this is a landmark album in U2's career. Incredibly famous live album. And what we're going to do on this episode is we're going to go through the stats, the story, the stage, the swag. That's the costumes. Couldn't really think of another S word for that. And then the set, all the songs that are played in the album. So we're not going to go track by track necessarily, but we're going to give some highlights and really discuss all the key aspects of the show, Red Rocks, Under a Blood Red Sky. So have we got some stats there, Tyler, on this show? We do, uh, but before we get to the stats about uh, this show, I think we should talk a little bit about the October tour. This has happened, obviously, in between last episode and this. Um, So after the boy tour, you two set out on the October tour on August the 16th, 1981, again before the album came out. Uh, And that tour ended almost a year later on the 7th of August, 1982, the tour once again had five legs. Uh, less shows. Uh, Boy had 157 shows. October has 102 shows. Uh, but I, I think the the key thing to note there is those shows were generally better and bigger, um, mm. more publicized. Uh, so really, they got probably got more bang for the buck by doing fewer shows. Yeah, and you can see that they're obviously going to be more polished as they're going on through these just developing as, as a young band having more songs to choose from as well you know not having to play the weaker songs yeah and i suppose touring for that long i mean a year to promote an album it's uh it's a really long time it's, i imagine several people would have got the chance to go and see that tour at, you know various different stages mm. uh really see it progress but it just shows you how much of a a, a huge part of the business plan for you two is touring yeah, they're very much a live act. The album is uh, almost a promotional tool for, yeah. for the tour. It's certainly that way around rather than the other way around. Yeah. It's not like what you know, it's just a six-week summer tour that some bands do now when they bring an album out. This is a a, a huge uh, assault of a tour, really. Mm. Um, and and again, as as I said in season one, you two in this early period don't go away. They are constantly the in you know, in everyone's mind, I if you keep an eye on the music scene, I'm so many metaphors I'm confused. Yeah, <laughs> but um, but this is such an important aspect of U 2s uh of U 2s career that the focus on live, particularly because October, as you can find out by looking back at our review, isn't the most successful and polished as an album. Really, lyrics lost, the band somewhat in turmoil, internal divisions, lack of confidence a terrible album cover, all these kind of things that are a problem for that I, album. I like the October album cover. Well, I think that's going to come back up when we actually get it's to... It's very uh, of its time. Uh, hmm. Yeah, maybe. 
But that that cover will come back up later on in the actual review of, of Red Rock. So stay tuned for that, folks. Yeah. Uh, and spe- just speaking of album covers, I think the War cover um, is one of the best album arts of all time. I agree. It, it it's stunning. I, I'm still really struck by it. Yeah, and it's 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 recognisable. It's iconic. It's simple. Um, yeah, yeah, works perfectly. Um, so yeah, moving along after the October tour. So let's just just bear this in mind. You know, they have about a year off this time from from touring. Just over a year off because the war tour starts on December the first, nineteen eighty two, and runs all the way through to the November the thirtieth, nineteen eighty three. So minus two days. A, they've been on tour a year at this point, mm. and this Red Rock show happens on August. The no, that's wrong. No, that's that's completely wrong. I'll I'll step in. Do you have the? I've got the stats. Yeah, <laughs> it's the fifth of June, nineteen eighty-three, Red Rocks Amphitheater in Morrison, Colorado, and maybe we should um, talk about the fact that in terms of stats, this venue could hold nine thousand people. I I. Red 8,000. Okay, fair enough. But yeah. that's fine. But about that kind of number, really. So it's a potentially big place. Yeah. Now, just keeping on the bare bones figures here, only about half that attend, about 4,500 attend that, generally speaking. And we'll obviously get into why that is, but if you're thinking, hmm, this sounds like quite a bad thing for a show, uh, under half attended or around about half capacity. But it is true to say that no one knows exactly how many people attended. Yeah, I guess stats are going to get more and more official as we go through this whole live season, really, aren't they? Yeah, but this show in particular, just because there was such a fiasco, which we'll get into shortly. So continuing the stats for the war tour, uh, number of legs. Now, I'm quoting from Wikipedia here, two to five, depending upon definition. Yeah, well, this is a problem with Wikipedia, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, so um, I'm going to say there's five legs again. What? what? I mean... I don't know why I find it funny. It's uh, just to say something has five legs. It's I don't know. It tickles my fancy. Um, so yeah, two to five legs, depending on your definition, and up up to one hundred and ten shows again, depending on definition. I don't think this person who's done the Wikipedia page has really done the research. Well, it's probably difficult with this time, isn't it? I mean, all the they've facts possibly done marginally more than me because all I've done is look at Wikipedia. Hmm. Okay, so who is um who's directing this? Gavin Taylor, yeah. who uh, made it, made a name for himself on the Channel Four show The Tube, mm-hmm. um, which in the early eighties was the show that bands wanted to go on mm. to profile the music. Um, you you, hear, you can hear stories uh, from Gavin Taylor about Elton John and David Bowie. You know, if they're having an album launch, they wanted to, you know, do shows on the on the tube. Mm. Um, so once again, you two have got an actually res- well-respected figure to help out with this. They picked the right person, it would seem. Certainly, I think at that point, uh, so, uh, the best person with again within the price range, mm. um, because you know this is a a, a TV guy, and uh, he'd met Paul McGuinness, the band's manager. And that's how this whole show came about. Mm. So there was, I think, I think there would have been a reduced price. It's not like they said, "Hey, just come in and direct this." He's, they brought him in, wanting to be a part of this, wanting to help mm. devise it, and uh, they wanted it to be shot for American TV and really show the band at their height. Yeah. 
and uh, some of my notes today will be coming from the DVD commentary. And uh, if no one, if you haven't listened to that, which I, I haven't, I would recommend listening to that because Gavin Taylor puts a really interesting spin because uh, he he's not uh, an official member of U2's team. He's a, a music a music journalist who came in. He's a cameraman, and he he was brought in to show almost his perception of you two. Yeah, and I think that really comes across. Uh, but there's, there is there, there's a certain way in which he sees the band, and he wants to show that side that his perception of the band throughout throughout it. So it's really interesting. He goes into the details of how many cameras were on on them. Has some harsh words for some later tours, which I'm sure we'll come back to. Um, That's funny if he's putting the boot into other people. Yeah, it's interesting. He's not because he's not an official member of the U2 team. So he just directed a, a video early on. Hmm. So he's not really affiliated with U2. So he has a really interesting and, and unique opinion. Sort of insider outsider perspective. Yeah. Know? And speaking of insiders, uh, we've got old Steve Lilly. Well, no, I keep saying old Steve Lilly like he's eighty or something. We have young, vibrant Steve Lillywhite uh, producing this silly album white. as well. Yeah, good old silly white. Yeah. Yet again, called him old. So that's who's producing the album, right? So, what is the reason for Red Rocks? Why is it so important? Why is there an impetus towards Red Rocks? Because you get into the story of Red Rocks and. How we got to this point? Well, as you kicked off last show, you uh, two are a live act. Yeah, uh, th- that has always been the common consensus among fans, among critics. You uh, two's albums, you two songs come to life when when they're played live, and at this point they're, they're trying to crack America, really trying to have a go at breaking that American market. Mm. We've with America being such a huge market, they wanted a way to promote U2 to everybody. Uh, in, in America at that time, MTV was really in its heyday. It was making or breaking artists. Uh, M- MTV was the, the big pop culture thing for, for mm. a period of time in the early 80s. So they wanted something that American audiences could see and... Uh, and I think we can all agree the Sunday Bloody Sunday video that was recorded at Red Rocks was a pivotal moment and did really change the career of U2, and that's exactly what they wanted. They wanted a, a live show that profiled... Well, a video that profiled U2 in the context you, you know, you're supposed to view them. Yeah, and captures all that energy. I mean, I wouldn't say that it doesn't come across on the records. I mean, October, for all its faults, is, is full of energy at a lot of points, but... Yeah. But I think because of that almost um, spiritual uh, experience that a lot of U2 fans, you know, report having, and a lot of journalists report having, going watching them early on, this is a kind of the favourable reporters rather than the, the sniffy ones. Um, they needed to bring that across. So this leads them to the point of staking a massive amount of money on this one night, this one show. A huge amount of of money was invested in it. I think the band only had about. Thirty thousand pounds or something like that, or maybe maybe dollars. I'm, I'm probably getting mixed they, up here. They invested pretty much all the money they had and it, into and, this, and even at that, even at that level, that's all the surplus cash they've got going into it. They still had to turn to other people, didn't they? Yeah, to, they still had invest. investors. Um, so it's probably worth going through, you know, the Red Rock, Red Rock's you know, associates. This, this is where the TV deal comes in uh, with, mm. with the tube, because obviously the tube are then going to pay for the cameramen and. Every, uh, and a lot of the production and the helicopter yeah and uh, you had investors in america um 
who may not have been happy with the final product. Uh, but again, we'll get we'll get into that. Mm-hmm. Um, but at this point, I think you two are a really radical band in that scape of music, because normally when someone's very loud about an opinion, it it can divide people. But you two, as we've said before, are nailing the colours to the white flag in this. Yeah. And it's it's not that it's completely pacifist, but like it's strange for someone with that opinion to speak so loudly. So I, I, particularly in a rock and roll kind of setting where yeah. there's um, subculture, that that's normally what they're shouting about and, you know, people being different and being free and this is about people being peaceful and loving to each other it's also not worth um from a financial and a calculated perspective it's not worth potentially alienating people who have very different opposing you know political views and particular and agendas or um investments really at this time you know it's better to just be a band that plays a nice song and that way you've got 100 percent of your potential market there so yeah coming out and, and nailing your colors to the white flag there is a risk. You think about the 80s and the amount of bands that were just doing very bright, colourful, cartoony pop. Mm. A lot of synth. Yeah, not a lot of substance. And you two are going, okay, you guys can do that. We're, we're going to do this. We're, we're yeah. going to write We're going to write rock songs. We're not going to be afraid to put our hearts into it. We're not going to be afraid to be a little bit political. Mm. We're, we're going to be who we are. And, um, you know, you guys can have all the synth you want. You yeah. guys can, you know, dance around in... Uh, what are those things? Those bright socks, leg warmers, and <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. And you two are going, no, you guys have that. We're happy doing what we're doing. I'm not sure if leg warmers are kicked off as a fashion thing just yet, but yeah, no, I know what you know what you're saying. And uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the the stage attire later on in the show. So stay tuned for all of the um, fashion <laughs> missteps uh, that, that occur. Um, okay, so we have a huge amount riding on this gig, don't we? Really, I mean. Essentially, this is U2's future, riding on one particular evening and this going well because you've got to get, as you said, all the cameras, everything rides upon this event. Yeah, they don't do half measures, do they? No. They're they're an all-in kind of band. Yeah, and unfortunately for them... (laughs) A tornado hits Denver. I think it's Denver. Um, yeah, Denver, Col- Colorado. Yeah. Uh, the, so the, the venue, um, the Red Rocks Amphitheater, is quite deep into the Rocky Mountains. Yeah. Gavin Taylor on the on the commentary says that a lot of the fans, because the weather was so bad, had, had actually had to walk to the gig through the mountains because mm. I don't think the bus service was, was working. So they effectively have to go on a hike before they actually arrive yeah. at the gig. Yeah, and and if uh, I'm sure many of you will have seen the 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 video or the DVD, um, or at least seen clips online. It's quite a dramatic landscape. Yeah. But by no stretch of the imagination, it's it's you're in the mountains there. And that's why obviously they they picked that because in an ideal world they think, well, you two have got this earnest, you know, kind of as I said, spiritual kind of music or live experience it really makes sense in that rocky natural amphitheater yeah. that exists at red rocks i mean it because it's the venue so small this isn't the rose bowl this isn't wembley stadium mm. this is uh quite a desolate location and you two are not a huge act at this point yeah so it's unlikely that you two were somebody's favorite band at this point 
in absolute favourite band of all time. Yeah, I know what you mean. So Only the, three albums. The, the level of commitment from the, the 4,500 fans that actually did make the gig that night mm. is it's quite staggering. Yeah. But how gutted would you be if you were the other 3,500? Well, serves them right, I think, for not being good fans. They got a free show the next night. Yeah, well, I, I always thought it was a weird decision because because it is, you know, ankle deep in mud, difficult to get to, difficult to set up as well, just from a, um, a you know, from the technical team's perspective. It's difficult in all those ways. But then McGuinness says, um, we'll put on, your tickets will be good for tonight and for the next show as well. It's a nice gesture, but kind of a risky move again, because then people will say, well, well it is a bit, a bit, you yeah. know, inclement out. I'll just go to the one next, you know, the next night. So what would you have done? If if you were there in Denver in 1983, what would you have done? It's it's chucking it down. Uh, it's an all-standing amphitheatre. Not, not a problem for me. I like standing at gigs. All-standing all amphitheatre. Uh, you've got, a ser- let's say we've got a three-mile hike, right? I don't know how, how, how long the hike was. Three-mile hike to the amphitheatre. Remember, you got to go there and back in the rain and wind. Yeah, I wasn't imagining that after the gig I would magically teleport home. No, but um, so what do you do? You, you've got a ticket to the show tonight and tomorrow night they're going to do an indoor gig. Well, what, I, what, do you, what do you do? As a good fan and a man who has multiple cagoules, I don't know if there's a plural of cagoule, um, and waterproof trainers, which I have made fun of for wearing, I'd be right out there. From Aldi, ladies and gentlemen. Mm, I don't think they are from Aldi, actually. I think they're from uh, Go Outdoor. The general look is that they they look like they're from Aldi. Well, neither are sponsoring us on this episode. No. Um, But, you know, I'd I'd endorse both of them, I suppose. But anyway, I've got the gear. I would be out there. I would turn up. Would you have gone? It's hard to say no, isn't it? I think if I was 18, yeah. Hmm. But... <laughs> no, that I'm 26. Well, considering you can't even stand uh, stand up at a gig anymore. <laughs> Honestly, the, the thought of standing standing up and queuing outside Twickenham for hours mm. is just honestly making me not want to go. Right. Well, I guess I'm going on my own. I'll see uh, all the. But I, I obviously, fans I there. obviously will. But I just, I, I want my music to be a little bit more accessible these days. All right. Okay. Well. well... And, and if I had my seat, I could turn up when I wanted. Well, why don't you just bring a little miniature seat that you can put out for yourself? <laughs> a little fishing stool and a, a yeah, flask. Exactly, and you can angle while... I am while coming across as an old man, aren't I? You know, the energy of the show and seeing the Joshua Tree in its beauty and in its glory will give you the energy you need, I'm sure. So back to Red Rocks, anyway. Um, so there's so many weird things that go wrong here. Tornado hits Denver. Yeah, massive rainstorm. Fog descends on all of the surrounding area. It's like the world doesn't want you two to have this gig. Really, there are so, there's so much water that a lot of the technical team are saying we can't work like this. This is actually dangerous. So McGuinness makes sure that it's all just about okay and gives a pe- a pep talk to the team and says, "Come on, everyone, put in a shift. We're not cancelling this. As long as it's safe, we're going ahead." The sandstone rocks apparently emitted radio waves, which complicated the recording process. It's yeah, it is like the marrow of the or the the minerals of the surrounding don't want you two to play here. Like if you said if you said that as uh that was the the script for a film. Yeah. I would say no, nah, it's you know stupid. Yeah, it's unrealistic. The rock that, 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 that doesn't happen. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't The rock starts doing its own radio station. What are you on about? <laughs> so 
yeah, we, we get to this point and it sounds like it's going to be a terrible event, doesn't it, really? Half capacity, all the elements against them, sodden team, band not in the best of spirits, perhaps. But what is delivered is one of the most iconic and successful gigs in rock history. And it's probably worth, on that note, going to the stage. Have, you, have we got anything I else to say about I just want to give the, a the little gig? bit of history on uh, on the, the the Yampa Theatre itself. Okay, fill us in. Uh, so, I, I, from my research, I got that the capacity was closer to 8,000. Uh, I'm what, not going to quibble over, over 9,000 or 8,000. <laughs> well, you know, we can do that later. The earliest notable rock and roll performance at Red Rocks was by the Beatles uh, on August the 26th. 1964, the only co- concert not sold out during the US tour. Wow! So even the Beatles couldn't sell out. Yeah, I imagine rocks. it was very hard to get to in the in the 60s though. Mm. And all the rocks whispering, "Go home, <laughs> leave." Uh, Jimi Hendrix played Red Rocks on September the first, 1968, along with Vanilla Fudge and Soft Machine. I've heard of no, neither of those bands before. You're not a big are, fan of Soft Machine? No? Just the worst names for bands. Vanilla, vanilla Fudge. Um, an incident, incident during the performance by Jeff Tull on the 10th of June 1971 led to a five-year ban of rock concerts at Red Rocks. What was the incident? Uh, I, uh, surprisingly vague on that. Oh, approximately... 1,000 people without tickets arrived at the sold-out show. The Denver police directed the overflow of non-paying customers to an area behind the theatre where they could hear the music but not see the band. Uh, The situation seemed satisfactory until some of the people without tickets attempted to enter the amphitheatre by by charging at it, breaking through, and the police line. So um, So it was a riot, basically, for Jethro Tull, of all people. Yeah. Um, so it's quite, it, it's a storied venue. Um, I, I was surprised that you two w- weren't the first big guys to play this, but fair enough. Well, it's just such a naturally beautiful, uh, place, isn't it? And yeah. you can imagine, I mean, I've seen gigs in cathedrals and that's, that's really interesting because of the acoustics, the natural acoustics of Red Rocks must be amazing. I mean, it's difficult to obviously imagine it we've just sat down and watched the the dvd sounds it's, good but... i mean it's, if you see the aerial shot it's like a nice little pit of music it's yeah um do you it's, think it's the, interesting do you think the helicopter was necessary because i mean yet another thing that goes wrong the helicopter wasn't cleared for, it had to move because no it wasn't the four guys in the helicopter were actually risking their lives in a serious yeah uh, this is no joke they risked their lives by flying the helicopter and getting the aerial shots yeah um, it's another incident at, at, at an early U2 show where people, quite realistically, could have died. And how many feet up in the air were they? Oh, hundreds of feet. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, since U2 played there, some notable gigs at Red Rocks include Depeche Mode and, more recently, Mumford & Sons. Guess which one of those bands I would have really, really liked to have been in. Sin. Oh, it's got to be Mumps. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant guys in wellies. Uh, so the stage set. Are we talking about the stage set? Yeah, let's move on to the stage. Okay, so uh, once again, director Gavin Taylor, um, the director of the shoot for Red Rocks, 
was at first unimpressed with the existing stage in the amphitheatre. So he had it raised to a metre high and had a walkway installed at the front to enable Bono maximum room to connect with the crowd. Yeah, and that definitely works, doesn't it, as mm. well? I mean, this is quite notable because U2's desperation, it seems, to connect and get close to their audience. Well, there's no gap. No. Like there, there would be now. Uh, the, the, it was basically crowd and stage. There's no gap where, mm. uh, where stewards would stand to, to yeah. hand people water. And this leads to... We'll get to when we talk to the actual talk about the actual set. This leads to some interesting connections between the band and their audience, which are not always um, wanted. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, no, particularly on one side. Um, but that little B stage kind of anticipates the B stages that get used at Zoo TV. That the you know the walkway for the Innocence tour. It's all fascinating to see how even early on in U2's show that still plays a, a part and it also allows allows space for bono to kind of strut and kind of prance up and down like a well like a sort i of wonder pony. who was the first band to have a, a b stage like that really i don't know interesting interesting question yeah. but i guess there's always been because of that desperation to connect with audiences i bet there's always been people who've incorporated that that mm. kind of thing into their act so gavin taylor installs the b stage as we'll call it uh because he felt that the power of U2's performance and sound came from the relationship between them and the audience. They were all in it together. Uh, this is a feeling that really comes across with you know the fact of the weather and mm. it, it being a hard task for the band to play the show and get the show going that night. Yeah, and a hard task for the audience to get there. They, they were unified in that sense. Yeah, I mean, there's. I think it's um, a, few, a few people have, have made this kind of point that even though it was half capacity the kind of the, the quality it's almost like a filter the quality of that fan is therefore improved there's not people who just go mm, yeah I, I like a couple of songs i'll turn up every one of those people is a, a hardcore u2 kind of believer i would say that that kind of point yeah or at least they've, they've staked something on this um it to turn up yeah i mean that that just filter builds into the emotion and i think you can really feel that uh there is a strong connection on, on the dvd i think i think everybody can feel that but to the point even when you're watching it on the dvd that you feel that as well i got goosebumps mm. watching this the other day yeah now that i love any music can you know give me the goosebumps but particularly something that i've watched so many times and i'm so familiar with mm. to still feel so empowered by it yeah it's it's incredible um six cameramen captured the whole thing uh holding uh handheld cameras which the, the type of camera that they used and you asked me earlier uh, not on the podcast, but you asked me earlier about the lines that are often seen yeah. on uh, on the screen. They don't that, look bad. By that the way. is because uh, in those days it was very uncommon for people to shoot lights. Um, I think I, I think the cameras are known as tube cameras, or the lights are known as tube lights. One of the two. Okay. I, I, as you can tell, I'm not an expert. Nope. But the when you capture the actual floodlights, they create this mark mm. which does which fades eventually but at first is, is very stark if you watch old sporting events from the 70s and the 80s yeah i've seen it before then uh, it's the lights they make kind of an imprint because it's, it's so bright on on the actual film it's a bit like um you know when you get an, a, an eye floater you know when you got a little yeah. swiggly line yeah it's very much like that. look at yeah uh, but it looks great i mean it's a, it's a really cool effect it, i i think it you know it's part of the charm and it's uh this the show has been 
it's been commented that it's a very good representation of where the where the band were at that point. Yeah, you know, it's raw. It's it's somewhere somewhat amateurish. Yeah. Um, but the American producers did not like that they'd that they'd done this. That they'd lit the stage in that way and they'd captured the lights. Mm. Uh, Ameri- uh, they they were not happy that that's how it had been shot. Um, hmm. and and these are you know people who had invested into the making of this. I wonder what they would have preferred though, because I think what you they get would is have preferred dramatic... the the show to be lit a different way, so that the the cameras didn't pick you know get the lines hmm. on. Um, but again, they want uh, Gavin Taylor wanted spotlights on the audience, which meant when you when you were looking at the stage, hmm. the spotlights were obviously there. But he wanted to highlight both, not just the band, but the audience as well. He felt it was essential yeah. for the the live show feel. If you're gonna if you're gonna put that on TV, it needs it can't just be like it's set in a studio and ignore the crowd. You have to show both. Yeah. So overall, I think we're agreed that's a good decision as well. Yeah. Uh, maybe. Where Gavin. I mean, I mean, it's interesting that in in this instance, the UK TV shows were fine with it and and thought it thought it looked great. And the Americans didn't. Maybe it's you know just a, a national thing there. Um, I think it's probably more of an executive kind of thing. I think I think th- those squares, you know, in those suits <laughs> probably want, wanted it to be a bit more um, pristine, and there'd be less of a, an amateurish quality to it. So maybe maybe that's it. I, I think it, it adds to its charm. Uh, I I think at, at one point in the, the coming episodes, there is going to be a point where I feel U 2s production is a little bit too clinical. Mm. and clean um and and that live element is almost taken away yeah so well, this will be but we'll get fun, to, we'll it? get to that point because we're, we're tracking a band who are in a constant state of of development really and as you said you know kind of a moment or two ago this is this is a u2 that's still innocent in some ways but also maturing there's kind of a boy meets man element to this whole performance yeah and for this stage, I mean, Bono says halfway through, well, we couldn't have just, you know, we thought we'd turn up and it would all be nice and bright, but then that wouldn't be quite fitting. So Not right of, for this band. Yeah, exactly. So it the weather and the staging, it really, really works for this particular performance. You need that lashing of, of rain and the steam coming off the guys and, you know, and off the crowd, who yeah. are, a lot of which are wearing Max. So that I Yeah, I noticed that when I was watching this, when you can see Bono's breath... Mm. It's like that's such a personal thing. Yeah, it's such a good shot. It's like his voice, isn't it? Yeah, it's like you can physically see his his voice, and it's a part of Bono that you don't normally see. You don't normally see Bono's breath, and for some reason, that's just a really. I I just thought it was a really cool shot. Yeah, I also at one point it looks like. I, well, I thought that Clayton was um, having a crafty cigarette at one point, but no, it's just literally him perspiring. But <laughs> um, it just it just made me think, oh, no, he's not doing that thing that he does in uh, Zoo TV where he, he tries to be cool by smoking a cigarette whilst playing the bass. So to finish off the set, the, the set piece anyway, uh, the stage set, we, uh, we've mentioned we've got floodlights on the stage that light up both the band and the audience. Uh, part of the natural amphitheater, there's two huge rocky, I'm going to call them arms that en- encapsulate the stage, and there's mm. fire on top of those. They really add on to the show as as mm. it as the night goes on and it gets darker. And apparently, a lot of people are disappointed that those fire pits aren't actually there. They were just added for for U2's performance. There. Yeah. 
Uh, and in the background, you've got Peter Rowan from the boy uh, from boy and war cover. Yeah. Uh, he, I really like that as a stage piece. Actually, you've got an army net over his, over his face, and there's white flags surrounding Larry. Yeah. So nice, nice simple, clean statements, isn't it? You know. Yeah. We've got the album cover, and we've got the flags. The white flag, obviously, probably the most iconic thing from this from this tour, really, in terms of the stage. It's really important to have that album cover in the background as well, because that's that's the kind of thing that would stand out in a record shop. It is. And I know we're skipping ahead a little bit here, but it's weird that that comes in during October, doesn't it? Because October is played, the title track of the album, October, and then War. You know, you've got the the image from War. But imagine how bad, imagine how bad it would be. And this is what I was saying in the intro. If the October cover had just turned up there. You've got Adam's massive afro, um, you know, and the, the terrible fonts and all the bad, you know, choices that were made and that album cover turning up. Do you agree, Tyler? Yeah, it would, the, the October cover wouldn't look good as a as a back set. Yeah. But, yeah, um, I think it's a really, a really good looking show, a really kind of dirty, grimy, mm. raw show. Yeah, you can see along with the breath, you can kind of see almost like the spit as well, you know, when, when Bono's singing and it's sensible choices for a band who don't have multi-million dollar reserves to go into you know to to make this production so overall we're, we're pretty happy with the set on this one yeah okay so on to the swag um who should we start with oh it's a it's a difficult decision let's start with the least controversial member of U2 fashion-wise, Larry Mullen Jr. Jeans and white t-shirt. Uh, right, let's... Uh, who are we doing next? Well, also, just one thing I wanted to point out about Larry is um, he looks great, he looks young on this, but also, leather jacket whilst playing the first song. That's a brave decision, considering how hot you're going to get, but I think he just wanted to keep his, his cool, you know, just early on in the... I will I will admit his t-shirt's not white on this one, but... Isn't it? No, no it's red, but... <laughs> it's, it's too funny um adam clayton adam clayton uh looking like he's just come fresh off uh doing a bit of decorating in the house he's got a big jumper on he's not bothered yeah he does have a jumper on at first doesn't he like for some reason all i've written down for adam clayton is a uh, sleeveless shirt because i think i think he takes his jumper off yeah, but then point. he has a sleeve on his he has sleeves on his on his shirt later on it's just a very does he just do several changes I don't know. I mean, I think what can be picked up on is that Adam is not setting the world on fire with his fashion choices <laughs> in this particular... I think he looks quite in style for now, really. He's got the haircut of a permed ante, I would have say. You, have you noticed, Johnny, how um, you and Adam Clayton at this point don't look too dissimilar? That's true. I would if you, if you had a shave and had a perm, mm. maybe ble- bleached your hair a little bit, I'm not doing any of these things, but it, I have actually noticed. I, I yeah. think you could make money as an Adam Clayton lookalike. <laughs> um, well, maybe. I mean, I don't know who the hell would be hiring that. I mean, I bet, I bet the market. Either that or a Steve Merchant lookalike. Yeah, or Jurgen Klopp, as I got from a, a small child exiting a, a train station the other day. Not even you look like Jurgen Klopp, <laughs> just Jurgen Klopp. Great. Okay, so on to uh, onto the edge. Um, edge looking like a trendy lumberjack, I would say at this point. Um, a tasteful flannel shirt. Yeah, and sleeveless. I, 
Yes, um, with a nice white undershirt. I'd say Edge possibly looks best out of all of them. Also, that weird um, circle belt thing. Do you know it's Oh, about? like the, the rhinestone cowboy belt. Dun, dun. Yeah, I think uh, it looks quite good. Well, I, I don't like the belt at all. It's just, what what are you doing? Um, a lot's been made as well of Edge's um, hairline here. It seems that people can't go, can't resist <laughs> talking about the fact that Edge has... I think he looks good on this. I do as well. I yeah. just I think it's unfair the amount of commentary. People I, like, oh, I don't look, think Edge he always knew how to use his hair to you know to the best of its ability. He's gonna have a choice very soon. <laughs> but um, you know, we people in glass houses really shouldn't throw stones, Johnny. All right, all right. Okay. Um, okay, so on to the main event then, Mr. Bono. Bono. Oh, so much wrong with this. Although this is one of my favourite Bono outfits for some reason. I think this would make a really good uh, cosplay. <laughs> at some point yeah it would be recognisable as well yeah um, I've got a quote here from uh, Anthony de Curtis um, <laughs> from the from the liner notes to the deluxe edition so all in their early 20s Bono The Edge Adam Clayton and Larry Mullen Jr all look impossibly young and impossibly intent and Bono's hairdo Robert Smith mullet style John Lydon goes country it's just plain impossible at least to adequately describe so there we I go. like Bono's hair like the mullet with the um, the bleached top yeah, I I kind I kind of really like that look. Um, well, he makes I mean Anthony De Curtis makes quite a um, he makes a positive of it. He says, but even that her in its profusion of impulses and directions is dramatic, and drama is the order of the day on this DVD. So yeah, I, I guess so. It's um, it's a statement. Yeah, it's um, it's it's certainly interesting. Uh, Bono. Black leggings, I think. I think the leggings. They look really tight jeans. The, if the the jeans, they're very thin. The way they fold, like, is uh, is weird. They do not make him look like he's got a good bum at this point. Um, <laughs> this won't be a regular feature, by the way. No, it won't. But in in Pop Mart, Bono's ass looks pretty good. <laughs> uh, I'm, 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 I've got to be honest. Um, well, maybe it will be a regular feature then. Right. Anyway, so uh, high heeled boots. Terrible boots I've got on my notes. Um, yeah, he doesn't really know how to walk in them. It's quite uh, effeminate. I'd say it makes him look sort of like a prancing pony, like all the way through this um, This. Yeah, set. they're not punk, those boots, are they? But I will say they do give him the impression of elongation. And we know that Bono isn't... I mean, none of you two are particularly tall. He, Bono's the same height as me. What are you trying to say? Well, what I'm saying is that he manages just about, I think, to seem a little bit taller. Although he, he did, as I've mentioned before, he did uh, mention if you've got short legs, don't draw attention to the fact by wearing um, stupid boots. He's also, I mean, we talked about Edge's belt. The section's going on longer than I expected. Um, we talked about Edge's belt. What is going on with Bono's midsection? I've, I've got a theory. He's got tape across he's it. He's got duct tape across him, yeah. And is that to stop people grabbing at his trousers when he's fallen into the audience? I think it's to stop his shirt from becoming untucked. But he also he's also wearing a belt. Yeah, I know. Which kind of, I think, was in the duct tape, but becomes released later on, and it's really weird because you know you, you could because the, the the footage is quite grainy. You could be mistaken for thinking the duct tape is actually a belt, but then the second belt turns up. Um, but I the I don't know if they don't look like they're wearing e- earpieces in this. I was thinking it yeah. could be to just secure you know, the, the pack for, for the earpiece, but yeah. I don't think uh, they, they had that technology at this point. No. I, don't, I don't doubt that it was around, but I don't think you two had it. 
well, that, I guess this is one of the good things about um, the early performances. I mean, you can go online if you if you want and see the uh, the monitor mix that Edge, for example, has, where people are saying this is you know the main hook and everything's being a bit more ordered. And fine, the show's getting more complex, and you have to make those sacrifices of you know impulsivity and you know the the rock and roll kind of aspects. But I like the fact we've got this document of them being a lot more raw and a lot more passionate. Yeah, it's um it it's unique in the canon of U two live shows, particularly the ones that are on you know DVD. Mm. And it's unique for you know a variety of reasons, and it, I, I just think it's a great, great show. Okay, I mean, so we've naturally arrived, I guess, at the the next section. Oh, sorry, no, U two war t shirt. Bonner's wearing a U two t shirt. What do you think? Feel about bands wearing their own t shirts? At this stage, I think it's forgivable because they really need to get people. To, I mean, if if ten more people or a hundred more people buy that shirt, then then because of that fact like oh I'll, I'll wear that cool t-shirt the one that he was actually wearing i think that makes sense also it's a good look and it's a simple t-shirt it'd be weirder if he had his own face on his t-shirt i don't think anyone should ever wear a t-shirt with their own face on it yeah over well, no, no, uh, noticeable bands who wear their own t-shirts iron maiden <laughs> um no Wait, iron I'm, maiden like merchandising they really they're really quite into it yeah Shocking. um it's as bad as kids. interesting because I I think they're too old to be doing it now. When they were younger, I didn't mind as much. Well, they started to look more like Eddie. They they've all <laughs> they've all started. When they when they first started wearing it, they kind of looked all right. But now that they're getting older, I think they for some reason I'd prefer them in plain clothes, and I don't really know why. Mm, I I I mean Iron Maiden for all the faults have got really cool uh, graphic design imagery, yeah, yeah and imagery and stuff. Yeah. So I think it makes sense, but. I wouldn't wear one with my own face on it. No, no. But that, you know, there we go. Um, so that's the swag then, is it? That's the swag. I think we're we're on to the set list now. So um, we've got our wish, Tyler. They've opened, and we are talking now about the actual gig as it happens on the DVD. Yeah. And we'll get through all the whole intricacies of. Okay, this is a VHS version. Okay, this is the uh, CD version, for example. Um, out of control. We've got our wish. It opens up. Edge has got a great sound. He's got his Explorer out. I mean, it just it's uh, it's the perfect way to open this set. I would argue. It's good, but problem with it. Uh, it's the war tour. I feel a war track should open it. Interesting. Yeah, because we have three boy songs opening this yeah. uh, this which is yeah that is an interesting kind of order and, and then the let's just run through the set list then uh, so the set list is out of control twilight and cat dub into the heart surrender two hearts beat as one seconds sunday bloody sunday cry slash the electric co october new year's day i threw a, bit, a brick through a window another day uh, sorry a day without me gloria party girl 11 o'clock tiktok i will follow and then they finish with 40 um mm-hmm. but the first song they play from war is surrender yeah that's weird yeah yeah that's quite weird because if you're like me you might have been a young u2 fan and gone out and bought the vhs version before the uh it's 2008 the reissue isn't it i it's, it's like around there it's around there so i went out and bought that vhs and now at this point i've really really listen to red rocks the cd a lot and it's very strange 
because on the on the VHS they begin with surrender. If there's any song, much as I love it, to begin a gig with, it's not surrender. It's just an an odd an odd choice to to begin with, really. Well, I think at the time they wanted people to go and buy the albums. Maybe there was mo- just more of a push towards the new material at that point. I mean, I mean, the VHS came out in 1983. Mm. The uh, the or maybe it was 1984. This. Let's just check. I've got it right in front of me. Yeah, released 1984. Uh, so, so then you had the shorter album, which only had eight tracks on it mm. and was largely not Red Rocks. It yeah. was largely recorded in Boston. We should probably get get onto that. I, I mean, <laughs> I was um, surprised about that. This is the fact. CD we're talking about. Yeah, so we've only got two songs on Under a Blood Red Sky that are actually appearing at, at Red Rocks. All we've got is Gloria and Party Girl. So it's kind of, it's a little bit, does that annoy you? I mean, it, it makes no, sense. No, not at all. Not at all. Um, it's a better decision, obviously, because there's there's reasons to do that. Sound is better at the other gigs um, for it, those it's, particular songs. It's changed the way I look at it. I look at the now the, I suppose, VHS uh, or, or, you know, the video footage. That's the release. Yeah. And I, I now see the, the, the CD, the EP, Under, Under a Blood Red Sky, as a promotional tool, you know, something... Mm. Something to get if you can't get your hand, or if you're not sure about buying it, probably would have been cheaper than the the VHS. But it also it's weird because now, under Blood Red Sky, up until that point, um, and again we're talking about a time when we didn't have YouTube. We couldn't just if we wanted to see this, we couldn't just go, oh, well, I'll just watch it on YouTube. Yeah. Under Blood Red Sky existed for me as this kind of mythic thing because all I had was a CD case with a couple of pictures of the band, completely covered in that red imagery. You know, you can see the amphitheater a little bit. And then we've got the set list, which begins with Gloria. So in my mind, I've got this idea of the gig. And then watching the DVD, that's the reality. So that kind of does, I don't know, it's, it's sort of sad, really, in a, in a way. Yeah. Because Gloria finishes the, the first set. It doesn't open the whole, the whole no, show. No, it doesn't. Um, but this, this is interesting because throughout the years, so from 1984 onwards, uh, to 2008, uh, 2008, that was the first time you could listen to this whole show. Mm. There's 17 tracks in total, all of which are on the DVD. Um, there are eight tracks on the CD, and six of them aren't from Red Rocks. And there are 12 on the original VHS. Mm. And that's uh, that's um, interesting release history for, for Red Rocks. It, really, all should have different titles, because they're all completely different oh, things. God, no, they shouldn't. I mean, that'd be really under thundercloud and rain. One of them should be called because yeah, that's what Bono actually says. Yeah, he um, gets it wrong, doesn't he, on the actual Red Rock? <laughs> yeah, screen. it's that's annoying. It's really annoying. Um, back onto the VHS thing um, and the whole opening with surrender. It's a bad choice as well. I know I'm harping on about this, but it's a bad choice because Edge has to be quite static because he's playing. Um, he's not playing his standard guitar. He's playing the slide. It means that he's just sort of st- stood around at the back. Um, what did you make of Bono's um, fall? Because Bono um, at the, in Surrender f- collapses backwards into the into the crowd. Yeah, I mean he planned it. It wasn't. It's not that he was. I, I thought he'd been tripped up. I, I thought the the crowd had thought I'm going to get you and <laughs> grabbed his leg, pulled him in with the hope of not stealing him, beating him up. But but no, apparently he meant to do it and. He was helped back onto the stage by a stage hand. Yeah, I think it looks good. I think it. I think it actually works surprisingly well. I just think it's pointless that whole thing. Like it, 
Mm. It's not as bad as climbing literally hundreds of feet into the air. Mm. Um, that that is pointless and just stalls the show. But when people do a big crowd jump or crowd surf, mm. and really, what does it add? Tell you what, you I... entertain about sixteen people, yeah, and the rest of the audience are, are just wanting you to get the show on. Having been someone who got a a, a huge new rock boot in the back of my head from an idiot crowd surfing at Marilyn Manson. I can confidently say I'm not a fan of crowd surfers. I think the I think was bands can do it. Was the idiot in question Marilyn Manson? No, it was not. Right, okay. He's got more dignity than that. He's has also, he? Has he? Right. At that point also, he's getting a bit less uh, active on stage as well. Um, so, yeah. So, da, 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 da. What do we think of Two Hearts Beat as one? Because I think that that is terribly done. Yeah, I know you're not going to like this, um, but I just really cherish being able to hear this song live. Yeah, I, I cherish that. Do you know what else I cherish? Tuning a guitar. <laughs> and either Adam or Edge, one of them is slightly off. And now but guess this which is... one I think has gotten out of Well, tune, obviously you're going to blame Adam Clayton. Yep. I felt ill during that because of how out of... <laughs> ill. Out, honestly, and it's not because I had... you know, Like what... on Christmas morning when you feel sick because you might not have got what you think you're going to get. <laughs> kind of that feeling. I just felt I just felt queasy because it was just got like and then Edge coming in at a different. Um, I think one of them's uh, slightly out of tune. Adam Clayton. I I just I, I think the crowd the crowd obviously don't notice that and I, I think you're being a you know a bit of a stickler for stuff there. It's still a great song and they you know they do they play it well maybe not maybe it's not perfect but it's not the record Johnny. That's the the, the beauty of being live. Yeah, I know. I like I, I like live and I like. As I said on the last episode, I like the fact that sometimes Bono doesn't quite hit all the right notes. Um, actually, that, maybe we should talk about that. What do you think of Bono's um, voice across this whole performance? I think it's it's good. It's interesting because he goes through, really, in the first three years, none of those first three records sound the same. Mm. Uh, he's experimenting with his voice a lot in the first two. Um, but, you know, the, the David Bowie impressions are kept to a minimum. The Paul McCartney impressions don't really really less so. Yeah, but um, wait, you think he's a bit McCartneyish on this? Yeah, whenever he talks, I think he sounds like McCartney, particularly in this early period. But they've definitely moved away. They've got a confident sound um, that is that has moved away from yeah the kind of impression of other people like Jagger and and, and Bowie. Um, and you were saying before that uh, New Year's Day is where you think they really arrive. Maybe New Year's Day, I I think. Um, they hit on something really, really special. And I don't know how aware of that they were at the time, but I, I think more so than any other song up to that point, that gives them a direction and a general sound. That sounds like a... I think you could play that... A lot of the, the songs on the first three records you could play and people wouldn't really guess it was U2, mm. but I, I think New Year's Day has a very u 2 y sound and it's kind of before its time in U2's mm. career. Uh so it, I just think the production quality on that, the way it sounds, the way that the way they play it, um that's leading the charge in in U2 at that point. That's that's the best they've sounded. And that's also I mean along with Sunday Bloody Sunday, which is possibly the centerpiece of the, well actually it is the centerpiece yeah, of, definitely. of this um recording. That's one of the ones that I think would translate really well onto MTV. You know, it, it would, I wouldn't be 
I wouldn't, for example, be no, saying we a, need to get seconds on NTV. It's a good showing, and it, you know, it's a completely unique sound. I, I, I think, and and somebody, and probably you know, may and probably will uh, tell me that actually, no, <laughs> New Year's Day sounds like something else. But I, you know, I don't, I don't care. In, in terms of you two, it's kind of pivotal because that's that's the sound they ended up going or progressing more with. Mm. Under a blood red sky, into the Joshua tree, and it's it's a much grander sound, isn't it? I mean, if that's maybe one Sorry, thing I meant, say. unforgettable fire, then. But similarly, they would have carried that on, wouldn't they? Yeah, um, yeah. So it's that that's a really really strong performance for me. Um, what are the what are the songs that are very strong here for you? Um, strong songs. Yeah, I'm presuming you like some of these performances. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do. Electric Co's great. Yep. Uh, a day without me. Does Bono need that guitar? Um, I've got. May as well be turned off. <laughs> it's. It is. It is just a prop. That. Um, yeah. And what a waste of time for whoever had to give that to him. Do you know what? I think the guitar for Bono is sometimes used as a tool for him to not overexert himself. I think when he has a guitar, he kind of grounds himself to That's one true. spot. Yeah, I hadn't thought about so that. So it might be, you know, okay, give me, put a guitar in my hand because then I've got something to do, and if I. I don't do that. Then I'll be doing something stupid with the crowd and exhausting himself. Mm. And and really, it's quite late on in the show. So I th- I think it's a, I think it's a tool. But I can imagine Bono throwing himself around in the in, in the chorus of a day without me. Yeah. And um, maybe acting a bit of a fool. Well, that was his nickname, wasn't it, early on? Yeah. And uh, well, acting a bit of a fool. No, it's a bit long. Just the fool. <laughs> the, the fool. Um, and uh, speaking of foolishness, um. The band got into a little bit of trouble with clowns. Um, so during the Electrico performance, um, Bono, as he often did at this time, sung a snippet of Sending the Clowns. And this got them into a lot of trouble with Sondheim. So, um, and you can tell that I'm sort of shamelessly Wikipedia quoting here. So when Sondheim objected to this, uh, you two agreed to pay a 50000 US dollar fine for the unauthorised use. And... Um, I mean that's a massive amount of money at this particular yeah, time. That, I thought it was twenty five, um, which again would have been a lot of money. Well, maybe that the was the 80s. relative um, the pound conversion or something like that. Maybe. <sighs> well, yes, yeah, it is a lot. It's crazy. I mean, Stephen sometimes a bit of a jerk, there, isn't he? Really? Or do you think no? That's his, it's his right to be able to it do. It kind that. of is his right. He's he's not in the wrong for for doing that. Okay, it's his right, know? but he is a jerk. I would say. I mean, a young, he doesn't need the money at this point. And it's a young, hungry band. No, but I th- feel like, you know, it, it's kind of, you've got to mark your territory, you've got to say, no, you, you can't do this. It's, it's yeah, not that's just, a precedent, doesn't it? It's not just you two. It, he's speaking to the music world. You, you know, you can't just use my music without, you know, without permission. Yeah, I, I, I was jaded, that, sorry, not jaded, I was blinded by idealism that, and my love of the band, but fair enough, I guess so. Yeah, I, I don't, he's not at fault for... no. It's the spirit rather than the letter of the law that I'm objecting to here, but I mean, <laughs> yeah, whatever. Um, I want to talk about October. Okay, go ahead. Um, I think this is an early example of you two dealing in special moments. I, I just think yeah. it it re- that that's that one song, uh, that one section of the show is completely different to everything else. It's you know very quiet, very intimate, mm. quite romantic. Um, and so it's it's good that they can do such a diverse show at this point. 
it, it it is its own unique moment, and it's a moment that isn't going to get played on MTV necessarily. Yeah, it's a moment for the fans, and that that's what's nice about you two. Even now, I think there are there are parts in the show which are just for them and the, and the, the fans to you know enjoy, mm-hmm. and 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 that's you know the the, the more diehard fans rather than anyone just anyone who's got a ticket yeah and you can see that that feeling is recreated and we'll see it recreated across um the different shows and the different tours and things like that so i'd say a similar moment would be you know running to standstill something like that you know um we've got the the quieter moments that aren't yeah. maybe as showy i wish because of that i really really wish that october was on under a blood red sky the CD version, which has yeah. very, very few... I mean, eight tracks? But I think that was going against the uh, objective at the time. They wanted, you know, to show how how much energy this band have live. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I think the, the simplicity of the stage and the, the, the equipment and, you know, the recording is... It just makes the song work on a whole new level. Yeah, although we'll say, and this is really nitpicky, I think Bono doesn't quite nail the very last bit of that song. Uh, it, it's kind of self-contained in my mind. Like mm. October at Red Rocks is different to October, so it yeah, um, I, I I really like it, and I, I, it's a feeling that I think you two do try and recreate with certain songs throughout yeah. the years. Uh, most recently, I think with Every Breaking Wave. Yeah. I still prefer the the I'm in the minority. I really really prefer the album arrangement of that, and kind of think it's a bit X Factor actually. The... There's a lot of different. There are a lot of different mixes of that sh- song. There's a there's a, a live song. There's a, an acoustic song. There's mm. a single, yeah song. There's the album version, which seems to demonstrate in a sort of pop way that they're not really that happy with it overall. I, yeah, as an arrangement, I don't I don't think they figured out how to play that song live yet, and it, it does take mm. time sometimes. Yeah, I just I, I really want the the album. I want to hear an album arrangement played live of that song. If that makes sense. Yeah, I I feel the same about uh, Electrical Storm. Yep, yep, I agree so, with that. Um, but yeah, any other like points that you you know the, the highlights for you? Um, or indeed lowlights. Well, yeah, we've we've dealt with a few good ones. Um, I think that Two Hearts Beat as one, as we said, is bad. I'd say. Seconds is interesting because obviously Edge gets to be centre stage, but you do get a sense there of why he's the guitarist and not the front man um, to this, you know. And he's playing a really, again, this sounds like a really stupid detail, but I guess this is what the podcast is for. It's for details. He's playing a very old beat up guitar there, Edge. It doesn't, he doesn't look like the coolest rock star in the world, really. I think it it, it suits the look at the at this point. I think they are trying to dress like, uh, you know kind of people kind of on the fringe yeah sort of relaxed i suppose yeah uh other other low lights um i mean there is the kind of party girl yeah uh it is quite funny though because they knowingly bono is you know guitar hero for edge i I, I was watching that just thinking put some effort in lads this is you're just coasting now you just it's I feel like they were a song short and they didn't know what to play. Although weirdly, one of the ones that actually makes the cut onto the actual record, you know. Yeah, because it was it's they needed another song that they could play from Red Rocks. Yeah. So, um, I think it's quite amusing when um, two things later on in the show, the eleven o'clock TikTok um, 
weird staged dance when Bono is dancing with that lady who comes up. But they, it's not just that they're having a bit of a dance. They do like a arranged dance, and it's it's. I'd say that is them striving again to create a moment. Yeah. And then there's the the slow mo bit of us him spinning her around. She and she has no idea what the song is. She doesn't know the lyrics. Well, if she does know, she's not singing them, which is which is pretty bad. Doesn't speak a word of the Queen's. <laughs> American people do speak English, you know. Well, yeah, but in terms of you two, doesn't speak a word of the Queen's. <laughs> That's a very odd way of referring to the lyrics. Uh, doesn't speak a word of the Bongolese, I guess. Um, it's amusing as well that Bono pretends to have forgotten that they're still going to play I Will Follow so there's a moment when he walks off the stage after 11 o'clock TikTok and then the the joy in that, his eyes when he realises yeah we've got another song no, that, to play that may be deliberate because Bono says goodnight about six times throughout the whole thing yeah. because he didn't know what song they were going to end with on the yeah. on the video it makes practical sense <laughs> so he was told to just keep saying goodnight until yeah. they could get a good shot of it and you know dis- <laughs> so it's, it is really confusing when you're watching the dvd yeah particularly if you you're only used to the the ep and uh how short that is because you, you can actually sit there watching red rocks for a while thinking oh well they can't be playing that many more songs it's only a short show yeah which it is in in relation to you too, but mm. because he keeps saying good night, you, you you are misled into thinking mm. it's definitely going to end soon. Maybe that's why half the fans didn't turn up because he kept saying good night. He just left. <laughs> yeah, of the, the four four thousand four hundred that did turn up, mm. you know, three thousand left on the first good night. Well, he said goodbye, and <laughs> yeah. so I went. Well, that wasn't worth the trek through the Rocky Mountains, was it? No. Mildred. Get your cagoule. <laughs> um, oh, I think we should get Review 2 Anoraks. I, okay. I think that should be the merchandise, because we refer, refer to our lovely listeners as our Anoraks, who are often, and quite rightly so, um, tasked with correcting us when we've got stuff wrong. details wrong. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I, I feel we should get you 2 Anoraks made. I... I mean, I can't imagine who's going to buy them, but yeah, I mean, if people are interested in some Review 2 merchandise, then send us an email, I suppose. And maybe we should um, mention the ways in which people can get in touch, Tyler, at this point, uh, near yeah, the end of the that, podcast. That would be a great idea. Uh, so if you want to go to Facebook, that's facebook.com forward slash Review 2 to you. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter if you search for, I think, is it, are we the Review 2 podcast on Twitter? I don't know. You're... I don't really engage with Twitter. Your interaction with our social media accounts is limited, isn't it? Ish. Yeah. Uh, if you want to email us, so you can find us on Twitter. Just search for um, for review two. Um, or if you're a rebel type guy, you can email us at review two contact at gmail.com. That's review two contact at gmail.com. But we are on, you know, as I say, Facebook, Twitter. Yeah, I think actually, I've been told that reviews on itunes are actually one of the most important things for you know kind of for getting podcasts more widely uh played so some people have already and they've been lovely but do do leave us a review on itunes if that'll help us yeah on itunes we are listed as the review two podcast i think we're, yeah review two the u2 podcast or something like that yeah should really be at u2 podcast but we, we should know all now. this and as well the soundcloud.com forward slash review two yep so moving on Lowlights for me. Uh, we've mentioned Party Girl. Um, there's not a lot of Larry on this. You don't, you don't get to see that much of Larry. Mm. Which is a shame, really. Or do you want him to come up and sing Dirty Old Town or something? <laughs> no, it's it's his band though. I feel he should he should be 
featured a little bit more prominently. Low light for me is finding out that with 40, the final track, the crowd at this point, or, or the crowd at Red Rocks at least, didn't know to sing how long to sing this song mm. and etc. Uh, at the end at the end of the tune. So yeah. the, uh, the stage manager actually, I heard he climbed under the stage and started shouting it and the the crowd started to get it at that point mm. but this was commonplace at normal u2 shows where people yeah would start singing them out we can imagine in this context there won't be many fans who've seen them three and four times before you know there are still a new band here so yeah that's true yeah it does make it does make sense and also we learned to do that as fans by listening to under a blood red sky yeah ironically so well yeah so i mean so we know to do that now um, whereas they, they wouldn't have obviously had that because they couldn't listen to themselves in the future. No, but a very good way to end a show. Um, I, I, and I think that they do it with Vertigo. They played Vertigo last at Vertigo Tour, didn't they? But they, the 40... The they 40... Played, no, they played 40 last on the Chicago DVD, at least. And um, because you have... We got it live, but I don't think it was last. It's last because on the DVD of Chicago, at least, because Larry leaves the um, the stage last. Yeah, and he does his little drum solo, and it's a really, really cool moment. Also, a moment where um, where the bass playing uh, gets significantly better um, in U two uh, because Edge and Adam switch instruments. I'm saying that to annoy Tyler, by the way, listeners. I obviously no, love that. Because I, I thought the guitar playing got uh, just a lot more clearer, and you know, kind of visionary. I find. Yeah, bah, I say. <laughs> uh, any more low lights? No, I think um, I think we've got everything pretty much covered there. I mean, yeah. it's a it's a, it's a good set list overall. I would say um, any songs that you wish they'd played and could have played at this moment, like a song, like a song. That's what a, we all a want. Million, yeah. uh, like j- just a million times over. It's so annoying, isn't I, it? I really do want to hear. I, I think I've seen one version on YouTube, which was it was a bit underwhelming, but I'd like to see or hear one version of this song, even if it is a bootleg. You know where it just gets close to sounding as good as the record. But it's it's like the um, I mean I'm. A, if anyone's got any uh, get got that track on a, a, a bootleg, that uh, I, that's fine. I'm not asking you to send me the CD, but just if you could upload that somewhere online, mm. I I really want to hear that. SoundCloud, not YouTube. The, the sound quality is better on SoundCloud. <laughs> Um, I think I think what happens with that song, and it happens with a couple of other songs in U2's canon, is it's almost like they get the fingers burnt with it. It doesn't go quite well. So I'm thinking of "Do You Feel Loved," um, "Acrobat," that kind of thing, where they play it maybe once or a couple of times, and they think well, it didn't really go that well, so they they just leave it. And I, I get, I understand that that can happen with with live performances. But as a fan who loves that song, I just it was the one that I knew. I would want to see, and I thought you might say, you know, that's absent from from this. Yeah, uh, yeah, that that's the only one that really sticks out. I wish Rejoice was on here as well, and then you would get your Larry Mullen moment because he does a um, drum solo in that. Yeah. October's not very represented, is it? No, no, for good reasons. <laughs> um, what tracks didn't they play off War? Oh God, we gotta go through all of them. Um, I'll just I'll just look at the war. Refugee, they didn't play. They didn't play like a song. They didn't play red light. They didn't play drowning man. Drowning man. Red light. I mean, all of these would be would be good. <laughs> red light. I like red light. That's that, that's the one with Kid Creole and the coconuts, isn't it? 
Yes, I believe it is, yeah. yeah I wouldn't mind seeing the coconuts, got to be honest. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that's that's Red Rocks. Um, I, I I feel like it gets better with age. I It gave me goosebumps watching this this week. Uh, and once again, I'm beginning to think that this early period of U2 is, is just my absolute favourite of all time because as I found in season one when we were going back to Boy, October and War, I, I just feel like I'm learning so much and the songs are only getting better and a lot of a lot of what they did and what they stood for at that time just stands really strong in my opinion now. yeah um, and you can tell why people at this stage really actually cared about you two and pushed on with them as fans even though they didn't really have that you know, number one hit single or kind of breakthrough really. Yeah. They they were more of an album band and also more of a live band. And it's I think exact, you see that from it's Red Rocks. exactly what they needed. Like whoever thought, okay, we need to show this band live to as many people as possible. They you know, that's that's exactly the case. It's mm. it's quite rare that in history that you get to look back and go, Yeah, no, that that is exactly what was needed. Mm. Or in, in, in most of the time you go well, they did this, but it, it would have been better if they'd actually done this first. Yeah, this is the perfect move mm. at the perfect time in in the career of U two because after this, they it's it's strat is it stratospheric the, that word? Yeah, I'm I'm tired. Uh, <laughs> no, it's they they hit superstardom really really soon after this. Yeah, and this in- is the last this is the last time where the relatively normal people i think well i think this is what um draws a line under that early period they they have become men you know it's a cliche to say that about this but you know boys become men here we well we were talking about this last night you know how sometimes an act needs this Mm. um some acts just don't seem to do that live thing but the we mentioned the band editors Mm. last night and they would do really well out of a live dvd I feel like the Killers did really well out of their live DVD. But I feel that these days, there's too much kind of overexposure. I'm going to sound like an old man here, but there's too much overexposure. So I know if I want to see editors live, I'll just go on YouTube and, and bring it up. Yeah, but they're never professionally shot unless it's at a festival. No, I agree. But but I think I think the appetite for that is is less these days because there's a saturation. You know, when you two released this, it was the very, very early days of MTV. And... It, it wasn't as accessible. It'd be a treat when this kind of thing would, would turn up. In the early 80s, if you get onto MTV, then you were pretty much a superstar. You know, think mm. of those uh, early 80s stars of MTV. You're talking about, you know, Cindy Lauper, Madonna. Peter Gabriel. Peter, yeah, Peter Gabriel. Like, just, that that world of music video really came into its own in, in the 80s. And it must it must have been a great time to be a teenager, I think. And a great time. I mean, yeah, YouTube is fantastic and everything like that, but it is a great time to have to have just less less bands and, and kind of higher higher quality, I'd say, and just not a saturation and not that ease of oh I can see anything when I want to. And that's I think what led to me loving under a Blood Red Sky as an album, even though it had quite a few tracks on it. Well I it's got a mythic quality. I think for some onlookers of of U2's career it's hard to know who you two are because they they hear about bon you know bono in in the newspapers and everything and then they you know 
they might see a video of Sunday Bloody Sunday, and they're two very different people. Mm. So it, it's for for people that haven't really invested in the band, it, they, it might seem that you two have a bit of an identity crisis because that they've been around so long and been so many different things. Mm. So I think that may be part of why some people aren't keen on getting into you two these days because they've just been so many you know different people over the years. Yeah, I think they're a band who you can decide which era you're you're a fan of. So I think there'll be a lot of people who go um, on the most recent tour, on the Joshua Tree tour, that have pretty much no interest in them after, I don't know, maybe the 90s or maybe um, the 2000s. I know a lot of people who are fans but really can't stand particular eras. I mean, obviously, um, your enthusiasm waned a little bit, you know, during the whole uh, Enloth kind of era as well, but then came oh, back yeah, strong. Did, yeah. But that's, that's fair enough. Um, Still bought the damn thing. <laughs> um. A little quote to kind of wrap things up, I suppose, um, that uh, I think is quite quite useful to kind of summarise this this whole um, the show and what it did for you two. So um, Doug Stewart, who was the uh, American production coordinator at Red Rocks, he was quoted as saying, I go to hundreds of concerts a year, and I know that no matter how many concerts I go to for the rest of my life, there will never be another one where the interchange of energy between the audience and performers will ever be any stronger than it was at this show. It was just absolute magic. So, I mean, that's someone who is obviously very used to seeing lots and lots of gigs. Red Rocks really stands out for a lot of people as a particularly strong show, really. And it and it made U2's career. And you wonder, if they hadn't taken this gamble... And even if maybe the weather had been slightly better and it'd just been a, oh, that was, you know, bog standard gig, went quite well. And you didn't have all that mythology around it and the iconography of the the red sky and Bono holding the flag and things like that. If that hadn't happened, we might not have got Unforgettable Fire. We might not have got Joshua Tree and all the rest of it. It may have rained on the day, but by doing so, the sun shone brightly on U2's career. Hmm, lovely, lovely, well put. Poetry. I also have a uh, a quote that I'd just like to sum this show up uh, with Red Rocks. Uh, and it's a, a quote from Mike Pattenden, uh, who wrote the Under a Blood Red Sky article in a, a U2 magazine I've had for about 15 years. It's the Uncut Legends, number three. Uh, um, but the quote is, as a document... Uh, uh, as a document of where they were at the time, Under a Blood Red Sky is pretty faultless. It went straight to number two in the UK and stayed there for 203 weeks. Wow, I didn't know that. That's very so impressive. This this was a, a hot commodity for vinyl collectors, uh, record collectors in the early 80s. It was a sought-after show, and I imagine the EP sold very well as, as a cheaper alternative to the, the, the VHS, but how gutted would you have been? You know, hmm. or how 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 amazed would you have been when you did finally see that VHS in the early eighties? Hmm. Um, it is one of the best DV, best live DVD shows I've ever seen, uh, and and in saying that, I'm struggling to even think what <laughs> what show even comes close. Well, that leads me to ask my question, Tyler: Would you? be using your magical U2 ticket to be attending this I, gig. I am honestly very tempted. It's early on in the season to cash it in. Yeah, it is. I'm, I'm very tempted and I, I've been asking my, myself this question all week and I, and I don't know 
I don't know if there's another one that I prefer. I don't know if if saving it is going to... Mm. All right, well, I'll say where I am. I'm not going to Red Rocks with my magical ticket. It's a fantastic gig, and I hope that my comments about things like Edge's kind of battered-up guitar and the out-of-tune um, bits in... Um, Two Hearts doesn't dissuade listeners from thinking that I don't love this album. It's a fantastic album, yeah. but I will not be going to the ball this it doesn't, time. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be this show, by the way. It can be any show on the war tour. Okay, fair enough. Um, but I, yeah, I am very tempted. And i tell you what I would like to see. And I don't want to keep going on about how much I think the Joshua Tree 2017 tour is a bit of a misstep. Uh, I would very much like to see you two play Red Rocks again. They've been asked about that, apparently. Mm. And I know tribute bands... I think a band called Under Blood Red Skies played there. Yeah. However, I think the the overriding logic um, is they've got everything to lose and nothing really to gain from, from doing that. I I don't want you two to start doing that series of looking back and going and revisiting things. No, this is just something I would have prefer- preferred to the Joshua Tree <laughs> uh, tour. Well, we wouldn't be going as well, would we? So no, thing, and it wouldn't the, take so much the, time. The thing is, well, my, my, my opinion is pointless and useless and, uh, t- to anybody but myself because I still buy a ticket, you know, like mm. regardless of what they do, I'm still going to buy it. I have to, I have to really push myself to, to think what they would have to do for me to not buy a ticket. It'd be very weird as well if, if I went and you didn't go. Well, yeah. Or vice versa. Like, I think it would it would just be weird. Um. So, are you going to use this ticket or not? The listeners are on the edge of in, on the edge of their seats. I, I, you know, you know what? Knowing that uh, I do just have the one ticket, and I'm very scared of regretting this. But yeah, I think I would like to go to Red Rocks. Hey. Uh, I think I, I think mm-hmm. I think I would use my ticket mm-hmm. for that. You could have gone to October, by the way. Um. No thanks. Yeah, I think I will be using my ticket to go to Red Rocks. And and you just know that I'd be one of the people on the front row. And yeah, in a cagoule. In a, in a review to Anna Rankin. Bono touching and you on the top of the head like he did with that um, that person on the front row. I'd, I just... I'd be singing How Long. Even then, I think I was down with you two. Come on, guys. Get in, get into the groove of things. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm assuming because it's just a time machine that I'm going at this age. Yeah, I mean, yeah, also yeah. I will say you're not actually going, so... You... No, I think... Do you know what? I think I'd be one of the older people in the audience then. Yeah. Because um, it's, it's a young crowd. But yeah, I, yeah, I'm going to cash in my ticket and I'm going to go to Red Rocks and that's the that's the U2 show um, that I'm going to even though I've got another 40 years of tours to talk about. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, there we are. That was, that was Red Rocks and... Thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed going back to research that this week. Um, it gave me goosebumps, and I love that. I love that. Just mm. what an impressive show! A show that's storied, you know, on both sides, and uh, the, possibly the most pivotal moment in U2's career. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Okay, so there you go. That was U2's "Under a Blood Red Sky" slash "Live at Red Rocks." Um, that's all for this week. Next week we will be back, possibly, possibly mm-hmm. with a two-parter where we talk about the rest of the eighties. So that that's encapsulating Wide Awake in America, Live Aid, Conspiracy of Hope tour, Joshua Tree tour, oh, God. <laughs> uh, Rattling Home, which is the Love Town tour, and I think that they, there was actually a Rattling Home tour before the Love Town tour. Yeah. 
So there's a lot to talk about, but they're, they're, they're kind of in a very small period of time. Mm. Uh, so that we may do a two-parter next week. Uh, so, so there we go. Thank you very much for listening. Please continue to like, comment, share, subscribe any way you can to review to let us know what you're thinking also let us know uh, about your favorite about your favorite shows and your favorite moments on, on certain tours if you went because me myself and Johnny um, very much in one generation and the same time frame for our U2 fandom so it'd be very interesting to hear opinions of people who, who were perhaps there on the early tours yeah that'd be fascinating uh, maybe you could, you could contradict some of our opinions uh, prove us downright wrong if you like uh so yeah please feel free to get in touch we'd love to hear what you have to say about the u2 live story but for now for this week uh from myself tyler and from johnny uh we are gonna head off into the sunset of the blood red sky (laughs) and see you next week see you then Hi there, thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to get in touch, please contact us on facebook.com forward slash review2-2u or on soundcloud.com forward slash review2 or search for the Review2 podcast on iTunes. You can also email us at review2contact at gmail.com. Please like, comment and subscribe. Thank you.